So most, most of my childhood, really early teens, really ever since I turned about nine or ten years old, we, we grew up, um, my family did, we had uh, a lot of boys in the house, and, um, and we lived uh, on a farm outside of McMinnville, and uh, boy, there were, there were times when I felt like as a, a son in that family, I had to fight for uh, enough nourishment, because the thing is, you have five boys, you know, things get thin, you know, and it's, uh, it's a fight or might, or one of those things. I just remember going through so much milk in those days. Remember when people drank regular milk, like cow milk, remember that? <laughs> we, we went through a lot of milk, and I know my parents, you know, really had to, to, to work hard to make sure we had, you know, food on the table, but I just remember so often that if we ever went to, like, fast food or something like that, it was like a treat. Like, going to McDonald's, I know it sounds weird to say this, going to McDonald's felt like, wow, we've arrived. You know, I can get some fries, and, you know, it was, a, it was a treat. Fast food was a treat. And I remember, even when we'd be on road trips or whatever, if, if I got a full can of soda pop, I felt pretty good. Anybody else out there have to share a can of soda? Okay, a few of us, okay, we'll start a support group later. But like having that, you know, now people don't think about that. I mean, when I got to high school, I mean, I, I didn't have all the super trendy stuff. My parents did what they could. Stuff's expensive. We got that many boys. It's hard, you know, trying to get enough for all that. But, but I, I didn't have necessarily all the, the brand names all the time. I mean, it seemed like my other friends in town, they got the, the Wranglers and the Levi's. And, yeah, I may have sported a pair or two of JCPenney brand. You know, anybody else with me? Okay. We didn't have a ton. In high school, I didn't own my own vehicle. Now, it's strange. I think I said that before. You drive by the high school at lunchtime and see all these nice vehicles. I now will never own some of those nice vehicles. And students are driving them. But we didn't have a ton. In fact, I, I, my, my vehicle, when I was, got to high school, again, we had a lot of boys. It's kind of hand-me-downs, whatever we got. And I was just thankful that I had something to drive. It was a piece of junk. If you're a VW person, I, I, I feel for you, but it was a VW bus. You remember those things? Right? If you saw Back to the Future, it was what, like the, the, the Libyan terrorists were coming in on a blue one or one of those things. And yeah, it, was, it, it could turn into like a camper. I get it. People were really into that. But for me, it was a piece of junk, okay? The thing was like air-cooled. Whoever created a, a, a vehicle that's air-cooled, it was always like going 55 felt like a real challenge for this, this thing. That's what, I, that's what I drove in high school. My friends all loved it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I never, we didn't have a, a ton, you know. And, and some of that's okay. I'm kind of glad that we had to kind of fight and scrap for what we have. But you, when Jackie and I first got married, we, we, we struggled financially a little bit. I told you a little bit of that story last week that we did well, and then we found out we're pregnant, and, and we were, we're a one-income family, and I didn't, I didn't make a lot of money. We bounced a lot of checks back in the day, if you remember bouncing checks. Some of you that are younger, the checks are these things you used to write something on, and you'd pay for it. But we bounced some checks. We lived on WIC back in the day, which is Women, Infant, and Children. Some of you know that program because you've been on it. That's where they give you free government cheese, I think, and milk, got eggs, I can't remember, kind of the staples. We, we lived on that. And, and so it, when it came to the idea of being generous, for, for, for many of those formative years for me and, and even Jackie and I, it was hard for us. Because being generous meant that somehow you're, 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 you're responsibly giving away money that should be, you know, 
taking care of stuff. Like you, if you're bouncing checks, you, it just felt like so hard for us in the beginning because we were coming from more of that scarcity mindset. You ever heard that term, a scarcity mindset? And, and it's true. I mean, grandparents, people maybe older than you, your parents, your grandparents, sometimes they even saved aluminum foil because they weren't sure what's coming down the pike, right? So they would kind of, in a sense, hoard and protect what they had. And that's kind of what I had growing up. In fact, I remember, and this is not in my notes, this is a bonus for you. When Jackie and I started dating, we went to uh, my, my dad's house, who lived in, I think, Aloha at the time. And uh, <laughs> my dad grew up with this idea that whatever's on your plate, you're going to finish it. Anybody, can I get a witness? Anybody, family like that? Well, Jackie would not have it. So she got halfway through, I don't remember what we were eating. She's like, I'm done. And I watched my, my dad's brain just blow a little bit. Like he just couldn't fathom that anybody wouldn't finish. But this idea of a scarcity mindset, some of us grew up that way. And so generosity is a challenge for us. I mean, the idea that I'm just going to give money away seems like a difficult thing. And I'm thankful to say that where Jackie and I are, are, Jackie and I are at in our marriage right now, we're able to give not just 10%. We're able to give much more than that. And we've had the blessing to be able to take care of people's needs even when they don't know who's writing the check or putting the cash in the envelope. And that is a great place to be. I'm so thankful for that because we've realized when you're faithful with a little, God will sometimes bless you with a little more. But he's expecting you to take that responsibility with, 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 uh, with faith and to trust him and be a blessing to other people. Well, we all might have money stories. If I pulled the room right now, we all have different stories. Maybe people gave you advice in your life about money. Some of it might have been good advice. Some of it might not have been good advice. Uh, can you think of some advice that you've gotten over the years about money? Whether you're young or old, you probably got some kind of advice, whether that be grandparents telling you, you got to save before you buy anything, and that's pretty hard to do these days. But you know what I mean? Save. You might have gotten advice like that. Can you think of some advice that maybe you got, maybe that you shouldn't take? In, in my, my first couple of years uh, after college, when I was working, uh, we were living in Nashville at the time, and I, it was my first, like, what I call real job or whatever. Uh, and uh, not that farm work wasn't a real job, that was a real job. But this was like my first, like, go to the office thing. I had to wear a tie. You know what I mean? It felt like a real, the first job. And uh, I remember I had a uh, chief financial officer who uh, I've, I've stayed in touch with all these years. Um, and he gave me some pretty, pretty good financial advice. You want me to share some of that with you? I, I, I have it still with me today. He, he would say this. I remember him saying, he's Ben, hey, uh, if you work hard, you should play hard. Now, I think he got that from Price Waterhouse, where he was an accountant back in the day in Georgia. But he said, Ben, if you're going to work hard, you should play hard. You know, have, have, have good downtime as well. And I thought that was, I thought that was you know, pretty good advice. Um, he also said, uh, Ben, if you're going to bet on anybody, Bet on yourself. And what he meant by that was like, you know, when, when you're thinking about your financial future, you know you. And so you're going to work hard, but you don't always know what someone else is going to do. So putting, putting your eggs in their basket may not be the best thing. I thought that was, that was not bad advice. The best advice, which we've kept all these years, is you can take this one to the bank. He said, when you're buying a house, you know what this is? Buy the smallest house on the nicest street. Now, we've tried to follow that. We haven't always gotten that perfect, but there's wisdom to that by the smallest house on the nice. Now, that doesn't always work, and I know real estate's different, and we've gone through several weird times of real estate, but those were some pretty good pieces of advice. So here's what I want to do real quick. 
and you're like, wow, this is the longest intro ever. Uh, so right now, I want you to raise your hand if you feel like you'd be in the category generally of a spender. Who's a spender in here? I'm raising my hand because I ain't kind of a spender. Uh, who would say that you're a saver? Okay. Who's pretty good at uh, both? You're double on that, yeah? I don't know. Your spouse is disagreeing right now. <laughs> Spender, saver. Sometimes in marriage, we kind of need a little, little bit of both, you know, to be able to, to, to function. We kicked off the series last weekend called The Money Talks. And the idea is it's, it's really, as you can see, much more than just money. It's more about, do- it's not just dollar signs, it's about where our hearts are. And we kicked this off last weekend and we were, we were talking about that, that key principle, which is found in Proverbs 3, verse 9. And that what we want to do in this series and really in our lives is to honor the Lord with our wealth. We want to honor the Lord with our wealth. And again, wealth means many different things, but it also means our bank account too. We want to honor the Lord with our wealth. And we talked about that a little bit last week, that the way we manage money affects our worship of Jesus. In fact, Jesus would even say, hey, you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. Uh, one will, 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 will grab your heart, and money tends to do that for us. And in, we're in a Western culture. We are in a, you know, the, the United States of America, and, and many of us struggle with not allowing money to grab our hearts. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And last week we talked about four ground rules. See if you can remember them. First one is this, God owns and we, we manage. God, we've got we to start there. Right? We, God didn't call you up. Right before creation says, you know, how should I do this whole giraffe thing? He didn't call you. He created it all. He owns and we do what? We manage. We got to start there, right? That's like, can't talk about money without that. Here's the second thing, right? Money is a tool to be leveraged for good. Money can be used for all kinds of things. You know this. You've used it for all kinds of things. But money, in a sense, and sometimes people say, well, money is just evil. No, it's not. Money in many ways is use, it's just, it's useful and it's kind of neutral. And you can have it do great things or you can have it do not so great things. Money, from a scripture perspective, is a tool to be used, leveraged for good, right? Third thing is blessed people bless people. Blessed people, if you've been blessed by God, and many of us in this room have, our responsibility is to be a blessing to others. And we'll talk about that, you know, the idea of how to be a blessing in a way that's helpful, right? But bless people, bless people. And the fourth one is this, we trust God, not money. Paul wrote to his buddy Timothy and said, hey, warn the rich not to put their trust or hope in wealth, which so easily goes away. But to put their hope in God and, and richly bless others. So we trust God, not money. I'm Pastor Ben. So glad you're here. If this is your first Sunday with us. Welcome. If this is your first Sunday here online, you're like, oh, great. First Sunday. And they're talking about money. You're welcome. We're talking about that today. But again, God wants our hearts and he wants us to honor him with their wealth. That's what we're talking about this. Let's say we're talking about generosity. All about generosity because we want to be generous like Jesus. If this is, again, your first Sunday with us, we're excited that you're here. We meet on the first day of the week, a Sunday like this. Why do we do that? Well, we believe as a church family, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, born in a miraculous way, did amazing things, taught and healed and raised people from the dead. Three years into his ministry, he was killed on a Roman cross, and everybody thought everything was lost. But on the third day, on a Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And that changed human history forever. Jesus rose from the dead like he said he would. 
rose from the dead and offer freedom and hope and a new kingdom and a new way to be human. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. So before I pray, let's take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three. All right, let it out. There's science behind it. I don't know. And let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, you blessed many of us in this room. And, and, and I pray that you'd help us to have the courage and the faith to be a blessing to other people. Help us to be generous as you are. And uh, Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, Deuteronomy 15. It's the uh, final book in the Torah. We did a series on the Torah. I tell you, there's so many good things in the first five books of the Bible. Yes, there's some crazy, scary things that I don't understand. But the first five books, man, I'm telling you, God's love and his faithfulness is all over the map. Just five books into the Bible. But in Deuteronomy 15, find that chapter because this is an amazing chapter. If you've never read it, it's uh, Moses' swan song. He, he's about to kind of kick the bucket. And uh, Moses has kind of a final speech to the nation. And this is quite, quite the speech. He, he kind of covers all the law, if you will. He kind of covers all the Ten Commandments in kind of some interesting ways. He, he's trying to sum it all up. But in the middle of that, we get this chapter on generosity in Deuteronomy 15. See, the scriptures talk so much about generosity and how, we're, how to, to, to use wealth and leverage wealth uh, that it should be no surprise that it's from the beginning that God had things he wanted his people to be all about. And the ancient nation of Israel, they were supposed to be a blessing to all nations. The ancient Israelites were supposed to be the city on a hill that Jesus taught. They were supposed to be, God is the king. You don't need a human king. They screwed that up later. But anyway, they were supposed to be this, this, this kind of light to the nations. And that included generosity. That included generosity. So Deuteronomy 15, if you open your Bible, your device to that, you'll notice it starts right away with speaking about at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. That if you are an ancient Israelite, every seven years, debt's canceled. In fact, even amongst brothers and sisters in Israel, they weren't supposed to charge each other interest. So these were like interest-free loans or something. That's crazy, isn't it? But they were to do this release, and this is just the beginning of chapter 15. There is so much about generosity that's just so shocking to many of us. But the nation was supposed to be generous. And they were supposed to help the foreigners. They were supposed to help people like the AOWs, the aliens, orphans, and widows. I realize that that's not always easy to bring up in a gathering like this, but I'm telling you, some of, the, some of the most severe judgment that God had on the nation of Israel was because they ignored the aliens, orphans, and widows. And that should, be, that should be a signpost to us. We've got to figure out how to continue that generosity in our time, in our culture. But I want to hone in on verse 7. So if you have your Bible open, verse 7, I want to hone in on that. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be two things, hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they want. No. Lend them whatever they need. Did you hear that? Don't, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Rather, 
be open-handed, and freely lend them what they need. There's a, a new way to be human that God is setting here. That in a world of this is mine and that it's, that's mine, I'm going to hoard it, it's mine, it's all mine, I'm going to use it for me. In a culture like that, and we're kind of in that culture too now, hey, we're called to not be tight-fisted, but be open-handed and lend them what they need. Now, the reason that I chose to emphasize that word is because sometimes in our culture, we have a tough time distinguishing between that other word, want and need, don't we? We have a tough time with that one. I want that. I need that. You really need that? You know, whatever that phone is. Do you really need it? No, I want it. If we're really honest, sometimes our needs are a short list and our wants are a big list, right? But the people were supposed to live open-handed not hard-hearted or tight-fisted. If you remember last week, we talked about that passage in Romans, Romans 13.8, where the Apostle Paul tells the, the church in Rome, you know what? Owe no one any debt except the debt of love. This is how the people of God operate. Both the ancient Israelites and even into the new kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, the new covenant people, which is we, we are. We're to be Open-handed. Open-handed. The, the, the ancient Israelites, we, we talk about, you know, how much should we give or what's the percentage. We always want to know a number. We're so Western in that. We want to know a number. We want to know what's the equation to make God happy with us. We're always doing this weird thing. The ancient Israelites didn't really think that way. In fact, Scripture says that they were supposed to be generous with what came in at different times. If you got a bonus, you, if it was a bumper crop, you're going to give a little bit more. So they were used to giving upwards of a quarter of their income every year to the work of God and, and taking care of who? Aliens. Orphans and widows. They were used to it. That's what we did. Here, we're like, I can't give God 10%. Well, that's crazy. But they were willing to, because they were the people of God, and they understood, which is something I think we need to understand, we have been blessed to be a blessing. They were supposed to be a blessing for all nations. And in Christ, we get that same wonderful vocation of being a blessing to other people. They were willing to, 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 to part with their hard-earned crops and it was a very agrarian culture there so they were willing to do that i i've seen lots of grain in barns or you know, silos they were giving that away it was almost a physical thing they're doing i mean sometimes now we we write a check and don't think about it or just it's a number in a bank account but they were literally having to like haul it in there's something about that but they were willing to do that because they understood that they were going to be a blessing to all people, including those around, those in the, in the nation, those around aliens, orphans, and widows. And they were willing to give. And the thing is, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus himself starts to set a new precedent. He's like, well, I'm not going to call everybody to give everything, but be willing to give it all. He told that to one person. That was pretty shocking to that person. Kind of a, a nice upstanding young man, the rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus and says, I've done everything good. I've got it all checked. I've got all the check boxes. I'm, I'm good. And Jesus looks at him and the scriptures say, and Mark loved him. Looked at him and loved him and said, well, there's one thing. You've got all the boxes checked. You're doing well. But it's got your heart. So for you, young man, you need to sell it all and come follow me. Now, we look back and think, well, why didn't that guy do that? That's you get to follow Jesus like the most famous person in the world. But then it, it was a big decision this, this guy had to make. He had to let go. And I think he was living like this and not like this. 
That's the way Israel was supposed to be living, open-handed. Oh, so be willing to give it all, is what Jesus said. That's a big thing. When you look at the New Testament, you find some patterns in giving. Uh, first of all, there was a sense of freely you've received, which is what Jesus would say. Freely you've received, freely you give. There's a sense that what God's been given to you, you can meet needs when you see needs around you. So our posture should always at least have that as sort of a default, that when we've been given much that we can be a blessing. So when you see that, uh, some of you know that, and many of you are doing this too, uh, when, you, when you drive around town this time of year, you often see you know, folks begging at the side of the road if you drive around Salem or whatever. And so many of us have just been stocking, like we do every year, uh, socks, gloves, power bars. Freely we've been given, freely we can, we, we've been received much and we can give. And so maybe that's a posture that you and your family can take as we get in the next couple months where it's colder. People could really love a, a dry, fresh pair of socks. What a great blessing we've been given. So in the New Testament, this is what we did. We've freely uh, been given, and so we, we want to give. That was a, a posture, and it was cheerfully, not begrudgingly. Have you ever had to give something because your parents told you you had to be nice to your sibling or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I don't do that. Or you've given something, but your heart was not right. The New Testament says, yeah, we give freely and we don't do it with a growl, that we're actually doing it with a cheerful heart. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes to the church there and says, hey, you're setting aside this, but do it cheerfully. Don't, don't get this weird equation where you're just angry that you had to part with your hard-earned money. Do it freely and with, with a cheerful heart. Uh, anonymously, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' famous speeches he says, you know, when you're giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you know that giving anonymously is one of the funnest things ever? When you can put some cash, if you've been blessed by God, and you know a need, you don't need the credit for it. You don't need to write it off. You don't make your giving just because you're writing it off. I know I'm stepping on toes, but, I mean, they changed the tax code a couple years anyway. So, like, your itemized deductions are different now, right? But... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Have you ever done that? Maybe for some of you, that's your challenge this week. When you see a need, it's an actual need, not just a want. But if you see a need, I'm telling you, cash in an envelope anonymously is a wonderful gift you can give. When you can give and you're not respecting anything in return and you don't get the credit, God gets the credit on that one. That is a wonderful thing. In the New Testament, that was something they did. They would, they would give anonymously. They didn't always need credit. Compassionate. Sometimes in the New Testament, you see people would see a need, and they would be cut to the heart. And so they would be convicted. So compassionate, convicted. When was the last time you saw a need, and, and it bothered your heart enough to start making you cry? That is a signpost that God's asking you to be generous. Ugh, you can send me emails right here. Why are we talking about this? Look, these are the default settings of a Christ follower. This is like ground zero for every Christ follower. Freely we have received, freely we give. Now I realize we want to be wise about how we give, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's the default posture of every Christ follower, to give freely, anonymously, compassionately, to be convicted. When was the last time you gave something and it cost you significantly? Maybe to a child... <laughs> Uh, your own kid, a grandkid, someone in your neighborhood. These are the things that Christ followers wrestle with. This is the tension of living in two worlds. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we have been called to live here. So how can we leverage what we have for good? Right? Okay, so Acts 2 and 4. And this is something that I want to cover because I really think this is important. 
there's a little pesky word that we struggle with, and that's the need. N-E-E-D. We in our culture struggle with the, the other word, which is want and need. And we get the two mixed up sometimes. In the early church, when they were assessing how to take care of each other, and I think this has been mis, misused in many ways, but in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it's echoed in those two chapters, the early church, those who had been blessed with more, sometimes would sell some things or leverage some of that, what they had for the good of people as they had need. Acts chapter 2, if you've never seen this. See, generosity, at least in the New Testament, was never just a blank check. Now, sometimes we do that, right? To pat ourselves on the back, we're going to be, we're going to be generous. So we're going to write this check. I don't even really care about those people over there, but I'm going to write this check, and I feel good about it. That's not the generosity the New Testament talks about. It's a generosity that actually has investment and relationship, and you know what's going to go on. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 33. God's grace was so, was so powerfully at work in them, in them all, that there were, were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or, or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had, your favorite word, need. So there was some wisdom in how giving worked. Does that make sense? There's wisdom. Because sometimes I think we, we, we tend to throw money at stuff, either to feel good about ourselves or assuage guilt, whatever it might be. But sometimes our giving can hurt. Generosity can hurt. I read a couple books last couple years, one called Toxic Charity and another one called When Helping Hurts. And both of those books pointed out some of the things where we had good intentions, but the money actually hurt who we were intending to help. In fact, some of you know I was part of Rotary for many years. And Rotary even had to kind of backtrack on some of their projects because they were finding that they would raise all this money, they would go to some remote village or wherever that might be where, where they needed sanitation, right? So it might be a sanitation project or it might be like a water project. Those are noble, right? Those are good things. In fact, our church in like year two helped with one. What Rotary started finding is that when they finished the projects, whoever was the local warlord in the area, or whoever had the most guns, guess what they would do? They would take over that project, and then they would start charging people to use said water or sanitation. Rotary had to pull way back. Sometimes we need to be wise about how we're giving, right? We don't want to unintentionally have the right heart, but then like hurt somebody by our generosity. So we do well, like they did in the early church, assess need. Now, Look, sometimes we're not going to be able to do this perfectly, right? Sometimes you don't have a power bar in your, your vehicle. You see someone in need, and, you know, all you've got is that 5 or 10 or 20, whatever it is. Yes, they might take that money and go buy alcohol. Sometimes that's going to happen. We, we try to help, but when God convicts us of something, and we, we want to honor that, right, when we're convicted, sometimes we don't get it right. But we try to do our best to assess need. And, and you, you see where I'm going with that. We, we look at need, not want. When was the last time you saw a need that you could meet and you did it? Or the opposite, when you saw a need and you didn't meet it? I mean, these are things that as a Christ follower we wrestle with. This is the tension of living in two worlds. We're citizens of heaven, but we're also called to, to be a blessing here. The two worlds we walk in, right? Right? Well, 
I don't know how you're doing with it. When you, what's your posture? When you see a need, are you, are you someone that... Would, would somebody, if I asked people about you, I asked people in your life, people that you work with, people that, you know, your social circle, if I asked them, how generous is Ben? Or your name, fill it in. How, how would they answer that? How generous are we? Wouldn't it be great if people around us, outside the church, not even part of religious stuff or anything, if people around us saw us, imagine this, and they said, well, I don't really believe that Jesus stuff, but man, they sure are generous. That's a great thing. Can you imagine how that would change the whole temperature out there right now? If we could be known as generous people. I want to be known as a generous person. I hope you do too. Here's some wise statements that I, that I read about giving. These are from famous people, but I'm not going to say who they're from. You can try to find that later. To ease another person's heartache is to forget your own. When you can help someone else, it gets your mind off you. That's a, that's a healthy thing. To ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. Here's another one. No one has ever become poor by giving. Okay. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Isn't that good? I want to make make a life. I want to be a giver. It's not ours anyway. We don't get to keep it. I don't care how secure your 401k is. You don't always get to keep it. All right. The most truly generous persons are those who give silently without hope of praise or reward. You don't always need the credit. It's good. Last one. You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. How good are we at this? How good are we at generosity? Because this, this is more than just money here. This is our time. It's our attention. It's, 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 it's our service to people. And yes, it's our bank account. How are we doing with this posture toward other people? What about you? When you see a need, do you meet it? That's the big question that should just loom in our heads. Yes, we need to be wise about it as best we can. Yes, we need to try to vet things as best we can. That's imperfect. But is our heart leaning toward generosity? And as a Christ follower, that's where we live. That's our posture. Sometimes people ask questions about generosity. And I've had these over the years too. Can a person be too generous? Can you be too generous? Maybe. I mean, I think sometimes... We, we need to assess, make sure we're taking care of our family, right? We, we give it all away, but then, you know, now, we're, now we need to rely on other people because I've been foolish with how I've given. Maybe, I don't know, probably not often, but you think about it. We can be wise with how we help. And so maybe in that generosity discussion, we're doing our best to assess the need. Uh, maybe that'd be a family member or someone in your community or someone in your neighborhood. Uh, it helps us to know kind of what the, the long game is. Sometimes we, we help somebody one month, and this is true with the, some of the help organizations that we've partnered with. Uh, sometimes people really don't have a game plan. And so you help them one month, and the very next month they're going to be in that same situation because there's not a longer-term thing. And so those are important to ask, right? Does God really need my money? You ever heard that before? Want to know what the short answer is? No. <laughs> Remember, he created everything. Did not consult you or I on how to set these things up. He created the hills that all the sheep are running on, right? That's, he, that's, that's, no, he doesn't need the money per se, but he needs our hearts. He's aiming for our hearts. And we ought to honor the Lord with our wealth. So he's aiming here, not just what the number is in the bank account. Is it noble to be generous to God and ignore the needs of a family member? 
Is it noble that you're giving to God even though a family member really needs help? Now, I know that's tricky, right? We're all thinking of family members right now. Your mind is thinking about them. I know you, you, you look like you're paying attention to me, but you're thinking about that family member. Yes, I mean, they can, they can go too far with it, right? They can be too much of a drain. They, they don't have a plan, right? Those are all true. But Jesus himself was confronted by the religious leaders of his day. And he confronted them by saying, you guys do this real pious thing of giving to the temple and giving to, but you totally ignore the needs of your parents. So we don't want to be there, right? That's going too far down the road. Does God want us to be generous? Yes, but he also wants us to take care of our families, right? That's, that makes sense? You send me emails. I don't know. Uh, why did Jesus talk so much about money and wealth? Why was he so obsessed with it? Well, I think we've, we've answered that, haven't we? It's, for whatever reason, money tends to do this on our hearts. And we're called in Deuteronomy to live not tight-fisted, but what? Open-handed. And so money tends to want to grab on. And Jesus knew that. Look, money can be your God, your God whether you have it or not. You think about it. There's people who are like, i got to get that money. I'm going to put that next lottery thing. I'm, I'm going to win big this time. It can be your God whether you have it or not. And, and look, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. Now, this, this isn't a section about money, but it's some, he makes a statement that just, it, it just boggled my mind the other day when I read it. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, look, folks, what do you have that God didn't provide for you? Like, what do you have that God didn't already, uh, you didn't already receive from the Lord? Look, you didn't choose your family of origin. You didn't choose where you got born. I was born in McMinnville Hospital. I didn't choose that. You did not get to choose many things in your life. And some of us get a little arrogant with where we're at in the world. Like, well, these people, they just need to work harder. Hold on a minute, okay? Hold on. We have been given much. And the thing is, if I'm to read the Scripture correctly, what do either of us, any of us have that we didn't receive? Yes, some of us have worked hard, and yes, we've tried to be faithful and that sort of thing, but ultimately, who owns? God owns. We manage. I love Paul's statement. What do you have that you haven't already received? It's a great statement. We need to live that way. We need to leverage what we have for good. I mean, the whole parable of the sheep and the goats, what have you done for the least of these? This should be a signpost for us. That, that should be, I'm wondering what the early church felt when, when that was being said by Jesus. How you operate with the people that, when you see needs, do you walk right by? The Good Samaritan story. Two religious people walked right by. Who are we called to be? Are we the walker buyers? Or are we the person that says, you know what, I can be interrupted for this need. Because I see a real need. And now some of us, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if I saw somebody, Ben, like hurting and bleeding, that'd be a no-brainer. But what if you're late to work? Or you know what, you don't have any cash in your pocket. Or you start filling in the blank. I don't want to get my hands dirty. We do this all the time. Look, how we, our posture toward need speaks volumes about our worship of Jesus. In fact, Paul, Paul would write to the Corinthian friends in one of his letters, hey, if you're stingy, you're going to, get, you're going to reap what you sow. Remember that whole phrase? So, so reap, if you want to reap generosity, you, you sow generosity. If you've been faithful with little, God can provide you a little bit more so you can be faithful with that. Paying it forward, that whole thing, that's our jam. 
That's a Christ follower jam. I would be surprised if the person who didn't come up with that originally was a Christ follower. Paying it forward is our jam. That's what we do. I did this one time where I was in a Starbucks line. You know, sometimes people pay for the person that's in front of you. <laughs> I thought, well, that'd be a good thing. Didn't realize it was SUV in front of me. Full SUV. <laughs> that was a $25 hit on that one when I paid for the person in front of me. But pay it forward, that's like our jam. We, we, that's us. Christ followers, when we see me, we see need, our posture shouldn't be, well, they should have worked harder. Our, our posture should be, is, is there a need I can, I can do something about? That's the, the posture of a Christ follower. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, maybe you need to, this is your memory verse. Jesus himself said, freely you have received, freely give. That's the posture of a Christ follower. Imagine all of us increasing our generosity to the point where the world would see that in us and say, wow, they're generous people. Even if they don't believe what we believe, wow, they're pretty generous people. That's the kind of posture that I want us to have in the world, in our community here in Dallas. My only point is this. Live soft-hearted and open-handed. Just like Deuteronomy tells us to do, let's do that. We're the people of God. We are living the new way to be human. We are, in two, we, are, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And citizens of the kingdom are generous people. We see need and we meet need. So let's live soft-hearted, open-handed. Ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate giver. He's the one setting the tone for generosity. We used to sing a song, and I'm old school. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus is the ultimate giver. If we want to get a signpost of what it looks like to be generous in the kingdom, we look at the King Jesus, and he was willing to give it all. What are you willing to give for someone's need? We live open-handed, soft-hearted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, the, the, the real hallmark of all generosity. Father, you love us so much. You're willing to pay it all. And Father, help us in our lives to be generous people, uh, to, to look to, to need, uh, do our best to assess it, but ultimately live open-handedly. Father, I pray for everybody in this room that this week, each of us would have an opportunity to live open-handed. And may you do amazing things through that. Through our generosity, may you get all the glory and that the world around us would see something beautiful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.